Hello, Duncan Green here with the uh, latest weekly roundup of posts on From Poverty to Power. Um, Monday we had Mohira Suyakovlova um, on something called Renegade Research, which was a new one to me. Um, it's a repost, uh, it was originally posted on Open Democracy, which is a great uh, website. I recommend you have a look if you don't know it already. And it's about this idea of um, the frustration of researchers trying to work under authoritarian systems, authoritarian regimes, where there's numerous constraints, you have to do vast amounts of risk management, um, and you're worried that you're actually, in the end, sort of, you, end up, you could end up condoning a system you actually oppose. And so there's a kind of one current within research which says, sod that, uh, we're going to be swashbuckling, swashbuckling renegade researchers, a bit like investigative journalists. We're not going to take all that time getting permission. We're going to steam in, do some interviews, break a few things and get out and publish and be damned. And, and this could be quite critical and, and we're going to just take a few more risks. Um, and the point that Mahira is is um, is saying is, well, okay, that's fine if you're a sort of uh, an Indiana Jones sort of outside, probably white researcher coming in and doing that. But actually, there's a reason for all those ethics forms and permissions and things. And one of them is um, uh, the, the the risks, the much greater risks faced by local researchers, um, both physical risks and the risks of being excluded or not getting credit for their work and all the rest of it. So she says, beware the heroic self-narrative of the white scholar-adventurer, which is rather fine uh, phrasing, um, and says, you've got to ask yourself, what is this research for? It's not just about the glorification of the researcher. How is it contributing to local movements, local knowledge? What is the position of local researchers and what do they get out of all this? Which seems utterly sensible. On Tuesday, um, Maria Fasciolince, my colleague on the blog, um, came up with her latest Power Shifts annotated links, which I think is starting to turn into a really useful resource. This one, um, Maria put together uh, a series of uh, links and a sort of narrative on well-being and development. So well-being is very trendy. It's very popular. Lots of governments and researchers are now thinking about well-being, partly in response to realizing just how impoverished our idea of poverty is um, that, you know, um, all the research shows that being poor is about far more than whether you have a dollar ninety a day or a dollar ninety one. Um, but, but Maria is saying, OK, that's great. All this stuff is going on about well-being, but actually it needs to have that power shifts perspective, that view from the south. Some of the things that southern narratives about um, uh, well-being tend to stress more than northern narratives are things like collective well-being rather than just always seeing this as an individual uh, uh, characteristic that can be measured by individual surveys um, and thinking more about issues of solidarity rather than self-centered approaches to well-being. Um, so I think there's some really interesting stuff in there. And and, and yeah, the conclusion is, unsurprisingly, that there are many different ways to understand well-being and they tend to sometimes reflect divisions between South and North and between um, those who are, have power and those who don't, and we need to therefore have a plural understanding of well-being. On Wednesday, I uh, I did an, I had an interview with an amazing woman called Maria Al Abde, who went from being a microbiologist PhD uh, researcher to running a feminist organisation in Syria. 
She was in London a couple of weeks ago for a launch of the UK branch of an organization called Global Fund for Women, which is trying to help, I think, essentially feminists in the UK and the US who want to fund women's organizations get money straight to them without any intermediaries. And it's a really good piece of, I think it's a really good piece of work. Uh, Maria was here, so I grabbed her for her 20 minutes uh, for a discussion about how do you do feminism in difficult places? It's a series we want to explore a bit on the blog. Um, and she was great. So she talked a little bit about the work of her organization, Women Now for Development, running women's centers in um, Syria and amongst Syrian refugees in the Lebanon. In Syria, they've often they've had to move from running them directly to running them by WhatsApp because women can't get out. They're under bombardment. But even then, they're saying things like, yeah, these these textbooks aren't good enough. We want to better quality of teaching on English. They're trying, they have this, there's this great commitment to education uh, within Syria, and many Syrians are very worried about the current generation of, of young, of kids and young people becoming, in a sense, lost to that tradition, uh, you know, very big interruption of their education because of the horrendous situation in, in, in Syria. We, Maria talked about feminism, whether feminism looks different, what it means if you're under bombardment, if you're working in somewhere like Syria, is there, uh, you know, what, what's the nature of Islamic feminism, is there a, a sort of a thing which is Arab feminism, really interesting. She talked about the inadequacies of the aid system where, you know, aid agencies come in and say, okay, we've got a pot of money for this, you know, women's participation. So suddenly there's piles of money for women's political participation. And when you ask the women, they say, well, actually, we want education or we want something else. And the donors are saying, but we don't have money for that. And there's this classic clash between priorities established outside and what the priorities are for people on the ground. And then we finished by um, talking a little bit about Joe Cox. Now, Joe Cox was the MP who was murdered uh, three weeks ago next week um, during the, the Brexit vote. She was uh, an MP who had worked previously for Oxfam, where I worked quite closely with her. Um, and Joe, one of Joe's big issues was Syria. And um, there was a very moving piece, sort of a conversation, for, especially from Maria, about how much Joe's work meant to Syrian women. And I'm afraid we both ended up in tears, which led to a rather abrupt end to the interview. But um, it was absolutely fascinating. And I do urge you to not just read the, the quotes I've got on the blog, but actually listen to the podcast. On Thursday, uh, Matthew Spencer, who's the Director of Policy and Advocacy at Oxfam, um, reflected on a conversation he's been having about how should international NGOs like Oxfam respond to the rise of nationalism and populism? Basically, do we, do we take sides and say these, you know, that the, this group of people, this set of ideas is more in keeping with our mission and our work and therefore we're going to support them and oppose the others or do we see our role more as building bridges you know to use the current um, uh, uh, terminology if you have a milkshake do you give it to someone to drink or do you throw it at them and um, Matthew sort of was was reflecting on that question which I thought was uh, very t very topical and then on Friday, um, one of my uh, colleagues at LSE, the very wonderful Naila Kabir, um, uh, did an interview with me recently um, about, in a sense, two buzzwords in one. You know, if you like buzzword bingo in, in the aid business, this is the blog for you. RCTs and TUP. RCTs are randomized controlled trials, which are these quasi-experimental approaches to trying to find out what works in aid. 
heavily supported and heavily contested. Lots of very sort of powerful, ferocious opinions for and against. I tend to be skeptical, but that's probably because I don't understand them. Um, and TUP is the uh, uh, targeting the ultra poor. This really interesting program from the Big Bangladeshi um, NGO BRAC, which uh, goes to the really, really poor people, the people who are at the absolute bottom of the pyramid, and gives them a a holistic intervention of assets, cows, goats, chickens, training, mentoring, finance, and it seems to have got some really good results. Nyla, um, some while ago, did a piece of work where she went in and used qualitative research methods to kind of check up on whether what the findings of the RCTs, uh, on the findings of the RCTs and whether they uh, came to the same conclusion. And she comes up with some fairly critical views of the things the RCTs missed in the way they were designed um, and said that they did not pay enough attention to human agency, the fact that these are not lab rats that you're studying. These are people, and the people make decisions which skew the results. So unless you go in and do a really deep, um, qualitative piece of research, you may, not be able, you may not be able to get the kind of um, certainty that you're looking for. Um, it's a pretty nerdy post. Um, I'm not sure I understood all of it, but you know, I, I realized from the traffic that a lot of FP2P readers are nerds and geeks. So nerd out people and have a good weekend. Thank you.